Thank you, Jason. We're going to go into our time of today's scripture, and that comes from Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read verses 12 through 21. We're going to be reading it in the ESV. We encourage you to look up the scripture. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, uh, we will also project it over here. Um, and uh, this is going to be, uh, it's going to be sort of like in the middle of a passage, because last week uh, we read the first four commandments and the Ten Commandments, and today we're doing 5 through 10, so it'll pick up right there. So may the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and Moses and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, we are talking about uh, how to set a firm foundation for life. That's what we've been talking about all year. And we are continuing in our discussion of the law, but I have to confess something, uh, that when I read the law, and maybe you have this experience too, that sometimes I kind of tune out a little bit. You know, sometimes it's like, you know, a little boring. Or maybe it's kind of like, I, this is what comes to mind. If you've ever seen uh, the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it's kind of a classic, but it's from the 80s, so a little bit older. But there's this teacher, uh, Ferris Bueller's teacher, who just has this really monotonous voice that puts everyone to sleep. And he'll ask a question in class. And, you know, you see people, they're falling asleep and they're just zoning out. Maybe they have their heads down. He'll ask the question and then he'll go, anyone? Anyone? All right, well, moving on, we go to the next slide, and then in this, and it's just like nobody's paying attention. And I wonder if reading the law can be like that for you. I mean, yeah, maybe part of it is that it seems kind of boring, but maybe kind of like with Ferris Bueller's teacher, you know, for the students in that class, what they're hearing has no relevance to them. They don't connect to it at all. And maybe that's part of the problem when we read the law. Partially because we're like, hey, we're, you know, New Testament, New Covenant people. Why are we reading this Old Covenant? This doesn't apply to us at all. And so, brothers and sisters, obviously it's in there. And, you know, maybe you, you have a suspicion that it's important. But I want to remind us what all of this is about. Part of it is that we do understand our history. You know, they say, if you don't understand your history, if you don't understand your context, then you won't know where to go. For example, uh, you know, in this country, we have a lot of racial issues. And if you were just somebody who like, you know, I don't know, you came off of a spaceship, you've never been to Earth before, or you've been in a, another country and you know nothing about America, and you showed up and you saw the racial problems that we have today, you might just be like, what in the world is this? 
You know, and actually many people are like, how did we get into this position? How do we solve this? This seems so unsolvable. Well, brothers and sisters, you've got to understand the history, right, to understand how we got to this point. You know, and if you understand the context, then there might be a hope, right? Uh, some of the things will start making sense. And in many ways, if we want to become the people of God, we have to understand the history of the people of God. And so that's part of why we look at the Old Testament, right? But I want to remind you that the, the new covenant is a fulfillment. We're going to talk about what that means. It's a fulfillment of the old covenant. So in many ways, you got to understand the old covenant if you want to understand what that means to fulfill it, right? And, and I want to remind you that the end goal is to become these new covenant people, which is about becoming the people of God. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but if you want a refresher, you can go to Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and there it talks about not just hearing laws or just mindlessly doing them, but having the law written on your heart where it becomes a part of you. Not just people telling you you should know God, but people who actually do know God. Right, And so we want to be these kinds of people who our heart beats like God's heart beats. We know the will of God, and we are able to live in alignment with it because we are like God, right? We are in step with God. And so that's the end goal. That's where we want to get to. And so again, we want to see the blueprint. In some ways, the Old Covenant, the Ten Commandments, is a prototype of what is coming. And so let's take a look at it with that heart in mind. When we look at the uh, the law, we are looking at it from a, a, a new covenant lens, because I do want you to understand why it's relevant today. So let's take a look. So again, we're picking up right with commandment number five, and it says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, again, maybe for some of you, you, you kind of tuned out a little bit and just, I, I got to tell you, I do the same thing. And, and, and I want to uh, show you something. So, um, James, I don't know if you can just click back one slide so we can't see it. All right. Do you guys remember what commandments were there? Probably some of you. I mean, there's only two people who are physically in this space. so. Uh, but yeah, what's a commandment? Can, can I ask James or Jason? Just Yeah, any, any one of the ones that we just read. You shall not murder. Yeah, that is a good one, right? And, 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 you know, you shall not commit adultery. That's in there too. You shall not steal and you shall not lie, right? 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 No one's questioning me. I know there's only two people here. (laughs) But friends, I noticed something this week when I was reading this. And and guys, I'm a pastor, right? I studied this. And I've read this so many times. And I didn't realize that there's a commandment that I thought was a commandment. And it's not. Did you catch it in the one that I said? Right. Okay. So again, now, 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 now you've got right your 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 radars on and you're paying attention. Okay. So you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You, you catch it? Did you know 
that you shot, <laughs> James is raising his hand now. <laughs> did you know, now, now you can go back to it, James. Go, go to the next slide. Oh, sorry, I can do that too. <laughs> so did you know that you shall not lie is not one of the Ten Commandments? Dude, it blew my mind when I realized that. I was just reading and I was like, wait, where is you shall not lie? Now, you may have noticed, verse 16, this is the one that we usually interpret as you shall not lie. So some of you are like, ah, Pastor Steve, this is a technicality, right? It's basically you shall not lie. But let's take a look at it, right? It says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Is that the same as not lying? Well, you know, there is this idea of not telling truths, right? But sometimes we get, like, really carried away with the you shall not lie, you know? And and it, does that really cover, like, the little white lies? Or, I don't know, if someone's like, hey, do I look good in these jeans? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you're like, whoa, you're bearing false witness, right? You're like, you're a witness to how that person looks on those jeans. I, I, you know, what is the spirit of this, right? And so you already start to see in this that there's more than just this kind of blanket set of like, do do this, don't do that, that there's a spirit underneath it. And that's what I want you to understand, right? It's not just saying, do not tell untruths, right? Now, you can make an argument that it's good to be honest and, and true. But I'm just saying, in the Ten Commandments, it's not there. What it's saying is, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, right? It, it's, it's talking about speaking untruths about your neighbor. And, you know, you got to think, in a society where they didn't have, you know, everyone didn't have a video camera, you know, on their person at all times. You know, you couldn't record things, you know that it was very important that people tell the truth when they're talking about their neighbors. If, if you, you know, went to a judge and you said, yo, this dude owes me $10,000. You know, he said he would give it to me. You know, you're like, okay, well, how do we prove that? It's my word against yours, right? Or like, yo, I saw you last night. You stole my pig, right? I saw you, and you guys were eating bacon. So I know well, they probably wouldn't have eaten bacon because that was against the law, but you get my point, right? That there is this idea that, you know, in order for us to be able to function as a society, we have to be able to tell the truth about each other. So even today, to this day, right, like uh, uh, they might have changed the language a little bit, but people will like put their hand on a Bible, right? And, and they'll say like, when they witness in court, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? And they used to say, so help me God. It was this idea that, yes, there, we can't always verify whether or not someone is a, a, a faithful witness, whether they are a true witness. And, and so we, we have to trust that a little bit, right? But what you see in this is it is specific to the ways that we can sin against our fellow human, our neighbor, right? And so even in this list, right? I mean, you see things like honor your father and your mother, right? Which, okay, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Those are very clear cut, right? Right? You know, when I ask, those are the ones we remember because they're so clear cut. And we're like, yeah, of course, don't kill anyone, you know? Um, but some of the other ones like honor your father and your mother, well, what is that really about? You know? I mean, how do you really judge that? You know? How do you really, are you able to tell that, you know, somebody's honoring their mother or their father, 
You know, there's something that's deeper. It's not just surface behavior here, right? And by the way, you can look like you're honoring your mother and your father, but not be, right? You can be like, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. You know, but inside you're like, I hate you. I have no respect for you, you know? Then you wouldn't be honoring them. So these things are not so clear-cut in outward behavior, but it might be talking about something more in the heart. And it does seem to be focused on what it has to do with how we treat the people around us, right? One through four, commandments one through four, we're all about having the Lord our God as our God, right? And the new covenant version of that was to love the Lord your God with all that you are. That's where we're going. And so here it seems to be how do you treat your fellow human, right? And there's a movement here. And then the last part of it, the very last commandment, is even weirder, Right? Because you think about all these kind of clear-cut things, like, like don't steal, don't murder, and then you have, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or anything that he has. Right? And so one thing that this law does is it doesn't let you play that legalistic game where you're like, you said, don't covet my neighbor's ox or his donkey, but you didn't say cow. I can covet his cow, right? It says, don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor, right? They even talk about male servants and female servants and their wife, right? Like, like, like you're like, well, technically the wife is not a possession, you know, you can't get away with that. And, and what this is about, brothers and sisters, is not a very clear-cut thing. How do you know if somebody is coveting what your neighbor has? I mean, you know, maybe it's obvious if they're just looking at your ox and they're like, oh, that ox is awesome. I want that ox. Or, you know, maybe nowadays, you know, when we look at our neighbors and we look at their car, we look at their house, we're like, man, I wish I had a car like them. I wish I had a job like them. I wish I had a husband or wife like them. You know, then that, that is about the coveting, right? But this is an internal thing. We can't always tell when someone is coveting. But what is this getting to? Now, um, I mean, we could spend the whole time talking about do not covet and the wisdom of that and how that might actually create a society that looks more like the kingdom of God. A lot of the, 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 the discontent that we feel in our hearts that makes us so desperate for money and, 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 you know, sometimes selfish and greedy, it is fueled by our comparison, right? You know, they say that, that the United States, uh, I'm not sure if it's still true, but probably we're up there, right? That we're the wealthiest nation on earth. And a lot of times when people f- hear that, you know, we don't like swell with gratefulness and we're like, yeah, you know, we, we're so blessed. And the reason why is because we are not comparing ourselves to the rest of the world. We are comparing ourselves to our neighbors, to the people right around us, right? And they say that a lot of people feel discontent. I mean, you may have like this awesome house that is huge compared to a slum, right? Or compared to some neighborhoods that are poorer or lower income, right? And compared to them, you are rich, but you're not comparing yourself to them. You're looking at the person who's got more than you. And so they say that just about everyone in America, it doesn't matter how much money they make. They could make $100,000. They could make $10,000. When you ask them, how much money do you need to be content, to be happy? What is enough for you? That most people across the board say about 20% more than what they are already making. 
And so the idea is that it's always more. It's always more. It's never enough. You'll get to $120,000 and then you'll be like, you know what? I kind of need $140,000. It's never enough. Why? Because of the way we covet or the ways that we look at other people. And this causes us to behave in ways where we're like, hey, well, if they have that, that's not fair. I need to get mine. And then before you know it, we have a society where less than 1% of the population has more than 95% combined. Combined. Not making that up. It's crazy. How did we get there? What's going on? Right? And yes, some of these things, if we followed some of these things, I think it would be better. But the problem with the law is that, and the reason why it's a prototype is that in many ways, it doesn't really have the power to change us, to become like this. If I told you, hey, stop coveting, you know, you probably wouldn't, you know? And more to the point, I mean, think about, right, 13, 14, 15. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Do you think that there has been any murderer, like seriously, on the face of the planet, that's like, ma'am, I'm about to murder this person, but oh, there's a Ten Commandments that says thou shalt not murder, so I guess I shouldn't do it, right? Does this really have any power to change someone, right? I mean, a lot of times people just get in the heat of the moment and just something takes over them and they can't, right? They get to this point where murder, I'm not saying it's inevitable, but it's like uh, the boulder rolling downhill. There's gravity taking over. There's emotions in it, right? And so just a law that says you shall not murder is not enough, And so what we need, brothers and sisters, is a way for the law to be fulfilled. What does that mean? It means that we are actually able to do it. We are actually able to live it out. And, you know, uh, uh, let's take a look at at what it says. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. I want to be very clear. When it says the law is fulfilled, it doesn't necessarily mean that the law is obsolete. Actually, the way Jesus talks about the law being fulfilled, it's the opposite of that. It's not that it's obsolete. It's that it's completed, filled out, right? So let's take a look at this. This is uh, Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And for many of us who want to hear that the law does not apply to us, Right? We hear this as Jesus saying, like, hey, it's the same thing. All right, potato, potato, right? You said fulfill, I hear obsolete. And Jesus wants to make it very clear. He's like, no, I'm not abolishing it. I'm filling it out, full filling it, right? Full, making it full, and filling it. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We talked about this before. The scribes and Pharisees, they would have a almost slavish uh, obedience to the law. They would do it to the letter. You say don't murder, I'm not murdering anyone. You say don't um, Steal, I'm not doing that. But the problem with that is that it doesn't always talk about the heart. Yes, do not covet. It starts addressing the heart, honoring people. It starts talking about the heart, right? But there is so many loopholes. There's so many things 
in between where the law has, has not been completely fleshed out. So let me use this example. Have you ever seen like someone start to draw something and they have an outline of something? You know, and, and, and in many ways, that what, that's what the law is. It's an outline of what is to come. It is that prototype. And what Jesus has come to do is to make it full, right? To fill in with color and detail what the law is supposed to be. And he doesn't do that by making it more complicated, right? In many ways, Jesus makes it simpler for us to understand. Why? Does he make it simpler for us to understand? Because he actually wants you to do it. It's not about relaxing the commands because they were too hard. He wants you to to be able to actually do it. And so in some ways, he fleshes it out. There are a lot of people who don't understand this. And what we're going to read, this this is uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount, that part where he talks about fulfilling the law. And if you don't understand what that means to fulfill the law, the next part Sounds like nonsense. In fact, there have been Christians, even today, who just ignore the Sermon on the Mount because they're like, wait, 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 wait. We thought the law was supposed to get simpler. We thought the law was supposed to get easier. We thought that the law does not apply anymore. It's obsolete. So Jesus actually seems to be making it harder. He seems to be adding to the law, not taking away, right? And Jesus says, yeah, because I came to fill it out, to complete it, not to eliminate it, right? And so you got to understand that, or this doesn't make sense. So let me show you just two examples of Jesus fulfilling the law, right? Making it more full. So the thou shall not kill, you shall not kill, right? He says, you have heard it said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's in the Ten Commandments. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Remember, we said that there probably has been no one in human history that has been dissuaded from killing someone when they're on the verge of murder and they're feeling all this, this hatred in their heart. No one stops because someone says, hey, you shall not kill, right? It doesn't stop them. Why? Because there were many things that led up to that, right? You didn't just kill arbitrarily, but you killed because you had hatred in your heart. You were angry. Have you ever heard of stories where, um, I have, where just a simple road rage, you know, someone cuts someone off in traffic and then, you know, uh, like, like it, it leads to a whole sequence of events that ends with somebody shooting another person. Hey, thou shalt not kill. Stop it. It's not enough. But what if you could start the anger before it snowballed? That's what Jesus is talking about, right? So he doesn't want people to kill each other. But he doesn't want people to hate each other either. Not because he's trying to make it harder on you, but because that is the best way of life. What is the law? It is God's blueprint for the best way of living, right? It's not good for us to go around with hatred in our hearts. So for a lot of us, we misunderstand. We think the law is all about, it's a burden. It's it's what's making things inconvenient. It's about punishment, right? No, it is about life. It is not about death. It is about life, right? 
And so if we want to really be able to live this kind of way of life that God has for us, then Jesus is saying the law is giving you the outline of it, but in many ways it is not allowing you to actually live into what God desires for you. You can't actually do the will of God, right? And especially because we talked about this, right? There's the Pharisees who would follow it to the letter of the law, but they were so arrogant and prideful, and they definitely didn't love their brothers and sisters as themselves. They thought they were better than them. And if you just have a list of commandments, right, that just deal with your outer behavior, and maybe some inner stuff too, it's not enough, right? I want to show you that this is the case, if you don't believe me. So, you know, Jesus is saying, like, don't let that stuff germinate, right? If if you got a little bit of hatred, right, even before you go to worship God. Now, this would be controversial. Remember, Jesus later says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, and the second one is like it. So there's a lot of people who use a loophole, right? And one of the loopholes they use for loving people is they're like, well, i got to love God first. Right? I can't go reconcile with my brother. I gotta go give my gift at the altar. And Jesus is saying, no. You drop that gift and you go reconcile with your brother. Why? It's that important because if you don't, that little seed of bitterness will grow. It'll grow into more hatred and you're not gonna be able to love them. You're not gonna be able to stop yourself. You're, it's going to become this kind of resentment. Isn't that what we see? You ever get in an argument with someone and it just starts off at something small or somebody says something that annoys you and before you know it, you fast forward a couple years down the road and you never address that additional resentment and now you hate their guts. Now they're your worst enemy. Now every time you see them, they're, they're just your, your stomach churns, right? You get so angry and it all started with that little seed of resentment. We got to root it out. That's what Jesus is saying because I actually want you to be able to do this stuff. I actually want you to be able to live according to God's blueprint, right? And so here we see adultery, right? You have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery within her in his heart. It is not like, Jesus, this is unfair. You're making it too hard. He's like, no, this is how you root it out, right? The moment you start looking at a woman and you think of her as an object, the moment you think about somebody and you're like, you only exist for my pleasure, and you don't look at them as a fully-fledged human being, you've already begun the pathway to abuse, right? And so he, I mean, you know, it seems like God, like Jesus is making this so extreme. And part of the reason why he uses this extreme language is because he wants you to get it. I'm trying to fill out this law so you can actually do it. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members of that, than, your, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So Jesus is talking about how when we let these things germinate, it can doom all of us, right? It may cause your entire body to sin, right? Just by your stare, your gaze, what you were thinking in your heart. We have to root those things out, right? And it's so important. It's so important 
Because this is what God came to do. Brothers and sisters, what it all boils down to, the fulfillment of the law, I want to show you, it's the greatest commandment, right? Now, last week we did talk about, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Make no mistake, that's the first and greatest commandment. You probably heard me say this before. That was not news. The second part is the news. The second part is the part that I think in many ways we need to especially focus on because it's so easy to lose. The second is like it. It's similar to it. It's like on the same level with it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I like to put it like this. You shall love your neighbor as if they were you. And Jesus goes on. He doesn't just leave it there. He says, on these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So if we went back real quick, right? And we went back to these lists of things. Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. And if you were actually able to love your neighbor as if they were you, you would already do all of these, wouldn't you? We wouldn't have to tell you, right? Hey, don't kill them, right? Because that's definitely not loving them. Stealing someone's stuff, I mean, you wouldn't want someone to steal your stuff, would you? Right? I mean, the, the, the do not covet. You know, there's so many times where we look at other people and we're like, why can't I have that? Why do they get something that I don't get? Can you imagine if you thought of your neighbor as yourself? Like, like they're like me. Then if they got something cool, you would celebrate that. You'd be like, dude, that's so awesome. I'm so happy for you. Because they are like you. But that's not the way we think. We put us number one. We put ourselves in a category above other people. So if they have it, well, I should have it too. And I actually, if I had better stuff, there's not many of us when we have better stuff, we're not like looking at other people and we're like, yo, man, I I really should give this stuff away. Maybe we think that for a moment, but most people don't. I mean, we know this because we see all the inequality. People get this stuff and they're like, hey, you know, I earned it. It's fair. I mean, that's probably in the Bible somewhere, right? You know, you work hard, you know, you get to keep what's yours, right? There's something in the Bible, I don't know, freedom, something, right? But what would it mean if we really took seriously to treat other people as if they were you? Brothers and sisters, we've been talking about how do we read our Bibles and why this is so important is you have to keep the first things first. You have to make the majors the major. If this is you know, one of the two greatest commandments, it boils down to this, then you will start reading your Bible differently and you'll stop doing the nonsense that people have been doing for thousands of years, right? I've been alluding to this, but people used the Bible to justify slavery. It's such nonsense, but they would pick and choose passages that would fit their agenda. So one of the most common things uh, that you see, um, I've been reading this excellent book, by Isabel, uh, Isabella Wilkerson uh, called Cast. It's talking about how um, slavery and uh, America was really a caste system. And what caste is, is the idea that one person is better than the other. One person is in an entirely different category. White people are just categorically different than people with brown or black skin. 
And they would use the Bible to justify this system. You know, and one of the things that they would look at is they would go back to Noah. <laughs> I'm not making this up. There would be people on Sunday, pastors would preach this garbage. And what they would say is they're like, oh, yeah, you, do you remember um, Noah's, brother, uh, Noah's sons? There's that story when Noah was naked in the cave because he drank too much. And they looked upon his nakedness. And Canaan looked on his nakedness and didn't really do anything. But uh, the other brother came up and covered him. And because of that, Noah curses Canaan and says, you will be a slave to your brother. Now, it doesn't say you're an African and you will forever be enslaved. And by the way, in 18th century America, you will be an indentured slave and your brother gets to treat you like you are less than human. It never says that. But we take that and we twist it to our purposes. And we're like, yeah, yeah. The slaves, they're the son of Canaan. They're supposed to serve us. It's in the Bible. It's garbage, right? Isn't there so much stuff in the Bible? I mean, let me just show you. This is James chapter uh, 1, sorry, chapter 2. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is again. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, what is that idea? The idea that you treat one person, one human, better than someone else. You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I mean, obviously, pretty much every slave owner ignored this verse. But, oh yeah, this very vague, you know, narrative story that occurs in Genesis that does not apply to us, we're going to make it fit to our purposes because that's what we want to hear. And brothers and sisters, when you are able to keep straight what the entire plan was, what the entire law boils down to, it becomes sort of a key code. When you read the Bible, it really should be focused about how do we do these two things? How do I love God with all my heart, with all that I am? And how do I love my neighbor as if they were me? Do you notice that here in James, it calls it the royal law, right? As if calling it one of the two greatest commandments wasn't enough. It's a royal law, right? Just think about that for a second. Royal means king right, or queen. You know, it's supreme. What would this look like if we said, if you really fulfilled the supreme law? That's what it's saying. It is a law that is above the others. It is more important than the others. Now, you can say all the others fulfill it, or sorry, uh, you know, kind of feed into this one law, right? But if you are able to do this, then you would also do the minors as well. You would do all the stuff that is underneath it as well. So there's never a case where you can look at Scripture and say, I am now allowed to hate my brother or my sister. I'm now allowed to treat them as less than me. My interests are more important than their interests. But we do that crap with the Bible all the time. All the time. We look at passages where it talks about Men and women being different and husbands and wives being different. And the husbands will look at it and be like, yeah, wife, you're supposed to serve me. What's the royal law? What's the law above that? No, you got to treat them as if they were you and love them, right? I mean, 
All of this stuff we look at to prove our point. Our government, when people were protesting, I mean, basically human rights violations, right? And the government, these people who called themselves Christ followers, are looking at the Bible and saying, look, the Bible says you have to follow the law. And this is how so many people justify us south of the border, treating people like they're less than human, imprisoning them, not letting children see their parents. And we're like, but they broke the law, right? The Bible says you should follow the law. It never says, then therefore you can throw out their humanity. What is the supreme law, right? And so brothers and sisters, I mean, you know, I'm not interested in getting in Bible fights with everyone, with anyone, but when we read the Bible, you can't ignore, as I said last week, there are parts of the Bible that are more weighted than others. There's passages in the Bible that explain the others. And this is one of those things. It should all point to the way that we can love and treat other people as if they were us. And if you use the Bible to make yourself greater than someone else, to support your power and your interests, you are using the Bible wrongly. And it is sin. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to say, just kind of in closing, you know, the last part of the passage, after Moses reads all of this, did you notice what happens to the people? They're not like, oh, thank you so much, God. I feel so much closer to you. You are the Lord, my God. I'm going to go love my neighbor and all these things. You know what they do? They hide. They cower. They're afraid. They're like, oh, my gosh, Moses, we can hear you talk, but don't let us hear God talk because he is so holy. that If we hear him, we will perish. We will die. Right? And, you know, Moses is like, do not fear. You know, God has come to test you so that you will not sin. But the people, look, verse 21, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is how the Ten Commandments end. With God over here and the people over here. That is not God's intent. God's intent, the new covenant, you will be my people and I will be your God and you will know me. You will be close to me. You will be in intimate relationship with me. And while we're there cowering in the corner and we're in fear, you know what we do to each other? We also separate from each other. We mistreat each other. This is what we do in the darkness of fear, right? And we fear scarcity. Hey, this is mine. Because I need this. Because if I don't have this, then I won't be secure. And that we don't treat other people as if they were us. Because fear becomes our operating system. What does God ultimately do about this? To fulfill the law so we can actually treat other people as if they were us. He wants to bring us near to each other. I just want to close with this. Ephesians 2, 12 through 19. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And by the way, the 10 commandments were given to the people of Israel. What about everyone else? Hey, too bad, so sad. You don't have the covenant. Only the people of Israel have the covenant. Right? But it says, but now in Christ Jesus, who, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Right? So in many ways, the law, if it is used to divide us in any way, then those things are eliminated. I want to be very clear about this. This probably needs more nuance than what we have. It's not saying that the spirit of the law in any way goes away. Because the two greatest commandments are still in effect. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. No other law can stand against that. Does that make sense? Right? But all these other laws, there's a context to this. There's a reason why God enacted them when he did in the history of Israel. But those laws are no longer in effect. Not in the way they once were. It is all meant to serve for us to become his covenant people, to love God and to love each other, right? And so he creates in himself one new man in place of the two. We used to think, oh, we're the people of Israel. We're the covenant people. We're special. But you, you're Gentiles. You are not the people of promise. We are different than you and we are better than you. And God's like, no. If that's what you think, then I'm going to get rid of all of that. There's a new covenant. And in this new covenant, if you thought of yourself as Jew and Gentile in the tribe and out of the tribe, there's no more of that. You're all in the tribe. All of these people can be brought close by the blood of Jesus. All of those things that we do wrong that make us cower in the darkness, Jesus came to die for that, right? And he says, uh, so he, he creates in himself one new man in place of the two soul-making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are all part of one family now, brothers and sisters. We are all meant to love one another as if they were us. There's more to be said about this, right? But this is the journey of faith now that we are able to actually do because of the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't need to be afraid of other people. We we don't need to be afraid of God's judgment. But now we have a freedom to actually live into this, to actually love people as if they were us. Jason, can you come up? Let's just take a moment to just kind of meditate on this. You know, maybe there's ways that we've heard the law, we've heard scripture, and we've made it something that it wasn't meant to do. And we haven't seen that the end goal was for us to be united, brought near to God and to other people. It's going to change the way you read the Bible, if you understand that. It's going to change the way you think about your faith. There's a real humility. You can never say anymore, I'm better than you. Right? You can never think, I'm more important than you. I'm more worthy than you. Right? The Israelites were able to do that because they had pride in the old covenant. And the Pharisees were able to do that because they're like, look, we're able to follow these laws and there's some of these lawbreakers who aren't able to do it, so we're better than you. God says, no more. No more. No more. No more will one person think they are better than the other, think they are more worthy, withhold things from another, mistreat another. No more will you look at someone and look down on them. 
we will look at other people and we will see ourselves reflected in their eyes. And we'll think, how do I want to be treated? You know, I want to treat them the same way. You know what? I don't even know your story well enough. Let me hear that. I need to learn how to do this because I don't naturally do it. Yeah, I have this sinful heart. I have this heart that wants to be God who thinks I am more worthy than other people. I have this heart within me that looks out for number one. And God, we bring that before you. Thank you for sending your son to die for us, to fulfill this covenant, to make us your people so that we can love the way that you do. God, what a beautiful kingdom we are being called to. God, we can hardly imagine what this world would look like if people really loved each other in that way. People laid down their interests for the good of others. That people were just saying, no, 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 you first. No, I want to honor you. No, I want to care for you. That people are willing to give and sacrifice for the good of those who are more vulnerable, those who don't have as much. God, thank you for giving us this vision. And may we not lose hope in knowing that because of what your son did, this is possible now. It has been fulfilled. We can live into it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.